Hello and welcome to the Uncapped Podcast, brought to you by Roast House Pub, one of Frederick's finest craft beer and culinary destinations, where great people come to drink amazing beer. Visit them to track their taps and menu at roasthousepub.com, or download the digital pour app to track what's on tap. I'm your host, Chris Sands, and all the way from Waldorf, Maryland this week, we have the whole crew from Blue Dyer Distilling Company, and I'm going to let all of you introduce yourselves and what you do for Blue Dyer, because I will make a complete debacle of that if I try myself. So we're going to start with Jasmine. Jasmine Verheller, I'm the master of the master distillers. <laughs> so you keep everyone in check and make sure they're doing what they're supposed to be doing. Exactly. She she orders Domino's like no other. <laughs> she doesn't let us run out of NOS, which our stills are actually fired by NOS energy drink, not, a, not, elec- not electricity. <laughs> That's a rarity. If, I don't, I if think NOS like- went down, blue dark. <laughs> We're done. Keeps us, keeps us running. And uh, who are you? R- Ryan Verheller. I'm the um, master distiller uh, co-founder. And I'm Walker Dunmore, co-founder. Great. Um, and as I said, you're located in Waldorf, Maryland? Uh, yes, sir. And can you tell me what a blue dyer is? Because I have no idea. Okay. So uh, a blue dyer was a profession in, uh, we'll call it colonial times. Um, a dyer made dye for fabric, and a blue dyer made a specific dye um, for fabric. And what separated a blue dyer from a dyer was that the blue dyer worked with two plant materials, particularly indigo and woad, which made a, a whitish blue fabric dye for linen. And the materials were not water soluble. So a blue dyer in particular had to ferment, distill an industrial alcohol to soak out the uh, dye pigment from indigo and woad. So in order to make that particular dye, um, they had to use distillation equipment. Oh. And why we use the name, my first relative who came to the country and settled in Adams County, Pennsylvania, uh, circa 1720, William Worman. And uh, he built a mill up there, and it's still there. There's a Worman's Mill Road. But he went by that moniker, Blue Dyer. And we've done the genealogical research and traced my mom's side of the family back to him. And so we have we have... Uh, copies of letters that he wrote to his family, to his children. We have a copy of his will. We have copies of minutes of meetings between him and the Quakers. And he wrote Blue Dyer. Like it, it was such an important nickname that in all, in his own will, he writes, I, William Worman, comma, Blue Dyer, comma. And so that, that was what he was known by. He was the Blue Dyer. Okay. But, uh, uh, fast forward about nine generations, my great-granddad picks up the name Blue Dyer, paying homage to his relative and uses it as his nom de gloire while bootlegging over in Stafford County, Virginia. <laughs> and his son, my granddad, gets old enough to go out to the still site, which I think is about 10 or 11 years old, to come start helping. And so he picks up the name, and they used it for a good long while um, as their nom de gloire while moonshining and running their products up into Alexandria and D.C. across the Potomac into southern Maryland. So they were they were making spirits before during and after prohibition <laughs> and uh so I, I grew up working on granddad's farm almost every summer from about 12 to 20 and heard all the stories and granddad was really fond of the blue dyer name he kept a personalized license plate on one of his work trucks that said blue dyer 
And so when we finally got the idea to open the distillery, I mean, the name was a no-brainer, like, boom. Yeah, it would be real. It's Blue Dye Distilling. It's a really cool name, and the history just adds so much more to it, too. That's awesome. I'm always so envious of, like, people who can trace their families with such uh, detail back that far. That's amazing. We were were lucky um, in that uh, there was a lady in the 80s – Miss Parks, and she married into the Orman family, but she literally researched and published a book, and uh, then from there it was it was it was very. And my grandmother had it, so we went up and, and got a hold of the book because it, even in my family, if if you asked a grandma, a great aunt, my mother, and one of her sisters, you got four stories on where the Blue Dyer name came from, and because we were going to use it commercially. You wanted the real one. I said, we, we need to know, because it has to be defensible. We can't just yeah. go out here and say, hey, you know, the Blue Dyer, Blair Dyer was a colonial helicopter pilot. And somebody's going to be like, ah, I'm calling you on that one. Prove it. So we, um, but it, we were able to, based on her book, um, it's very easy to trace uh, where, where all the members in the lineage, I mean, that go directly from the original Blue Dyer to me. So what were you doing before? Well, actually, I guess you, then you are from a long line of distillers, just maybe the first one to do it legally. legally correct. That's pretty cool. Um, well, what were you doing before? Uh, law you, enforcement. So did you arrest any of your no. <laughs> forefathers? No. no uh, Walker and I met. Uh, we worked for Bladensburg City Police in Prince George's County. I was there almost 15 years. And it's uh, kind of... In the last few years, got uh, disillusioned with the profession, um, and almost four years ago now, we, uh, Jazz and I, were in New York, and we toured a little distillery there, and as we were riding home on the train, and I was already on the iPad, like, <laughs> like, what are you doing? Stills. I'm like, <laughs> we're going home to open a distillery. That's amazing. Didn't realize you could do that legally, as a job. Like these guys left professions that they weren't happy with they're having great success there's no distillery in southern maryland to my knowledge i mean we have i didn't realize it at the time i mean i I just grew up hearing these stories about granddad and and his exploits and um you never think like oh i'm gonna do something with that and it and i just it just everybody has like their light bulb moment i had my i had my little epiphany i was like wait a minute it's almost like we were supposed to supposed to to take this yeah, and, and do your, something with it. Your destiny. Yeah, sure. Hey, <laughs> <laughs> Walker, you were an officer also? Yep. Yep. And then I just kind of looked at uh, some of the more tenured officers, and, you know, a bunch of them had, had like two, three heart attacks, and people were upside down in their houses and stuff. And it's like, no, nah, this is. This is not it, man. They're they're working they're working night shift, you know. After twenty seven years, they're working midnight to six a.m. or six p.m. to six a.m. And I'm like, this is this is not what I want to be doing in twenty five years. Working six p.m. to yeah. six a.m. You know, I want to kind of be uh-huh. there for. And now now we work thirty <laughs> yeah. hour shifts. <laughs> yeah, didn't really. But I, I would um, I'd venture to guess that uh, operating distillery is way safer. Yeah, for, yeah. for the most part. <laughs> The, the stills tend to be a little less problematic than the criminal uh, individuals. Don't talk used, used to back quite as much. Yeah. <laughs> they, they still have our problems. 
So, Jasmine, do you work at the distillery full-time, or are you? I do what I can to help these guys <laughs> out, you know. She, she, um, she does about 90% of the labeling. Um, on our little label roller, I've never broke 200 bottles in an hour, and she's getting do five. <laughs> she also is the final set of eyeballs for quality control, so she rejects things, you know, cracking the bottle, labels on crooked, and then just consistently looks at us like, how did you miss this? We're rocking and rolling on the bottom. Machine. We're busy, you know? <laughs> well, the labels, too. We have two seams that run down the side of our bottles. And, uh, I'll see you try to make, make sure it lines up. Yeah, with the... and Ryan and I aren't really that great at it. Um, so if you ever get a bottle and the label's a little wonky over one of the things, that was probably one of the ones we did. But if if, if, if it's perfectly in between the two seams, that was Jeff. What's absolutely machine. hilarious is that you are not the first people to tell me that. Oh, yeah. um, I can't remember who now, but there's someone else at a distillery who said like almost the exact story if you see a bottle that the seams aren't right in yeah. proportion to the label <laughs> i did it if it's perfect my wife did it yeah. hey, you know everybody, everybody has their their strengths and weaknesses we're, we're we're a really effective team um particularly walker and i having worked in law enforcement together and and working in high stress situations where you don't have a lot of time to communicate it's like a couple quick words and then you have to take action um He's, he's been an, an amazing business partner. I mean, we, we literally are able to, in two minutes of conversation, draw, okay, he's busy doing that, and then um, we, t- we tend not to overlap or, or step on each other's toes. We don't second-guess each other. I think there's a lot of trust here. Yeah. I trust you. Yeah. <laughs> you know? It's at least one way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but no. But, um, but, no, that's great. It's, it's um, I've been – trying to actively learn more about you decide to become an entrepreneur and then you decide that you know distilling is the entrepreneurial endeavor that that you're going to move towards and everybody wants to become a better producer of spirits but when there's a little bit of downtime I've, I've lately really been working on increasing our entrepreneurial chops so like I've been watching a podcast for instance like Gary Vee's out here laying out gems for small business owners uh, week in and week out. And one of, one of the things Gary Vee says is, is self-awareness is key to success. So you have to know what you're good at and double, triple down on what you're good at. And then you have to hire or find people that are good at the things. And you have to be aware of what you're not. Because if you try to be everything, you will fall down. And I think that Walker and I are very good at different things. And he's much better at the things he's good at. So I'm just like, Hey dude, go. I'm, I'm going to be here and be your cheerleader, like rock out. And, and he kind of does the same with me and we've never had this conversation. That's <laughs> um, that, that has been definitely a theme of the different people we've had on some of them, the more successful places we've had on of the group of ownership that people start to, even if you started out kind of doing everything, we did. Both of you doing yeah. everything. You kind of just separated into a lot of places. The owners separate into what they're they're best at, and then focus on that just that section. So it makes sense that to do that, I guess. Yeah, you have to, and and it's definitely good having having the ability to do that. And then we can also go the other way, so that you know, since we both started out doing everything, we can both do the, everything. Um, so it's nice when this person has to go do this 
and you can switch. You're, so. you're not both stuck there okay. all the time or exactly. something not getting done. Occasionally, yeah. Walker gets a call, and, and I never ask for help, but when I, my voice gets wimpy, he's like, <laughs> is it Broken Arrow down there, buddy? I'm like, it's Broken Arrow. I need help. I'm overrun. <laughs> he's like, I'll come in tomorrow and, and help knock out some stuff. I'm like, thank you. So did either of you have any um, experience with distilling before you started, or – and I'm sure whatever you did, it was legal, so we'll just get that out of the way, that you had, I think, what, the educational uh, license to practice? <laughs> I had no experience beforehand. <laughs> uh, my, my granddad stopped selling liquor in probably the mid-'40s, but he never stopped making it. And he, um, he did well for himself. He had a contracting company. And uh, having lived through the Great Depression, their mentality was you put your money into land because the government can take your money from the bank, but land is safe and the value over time always goes up. And it, it was just that was a mentality that they had, uh, being fiercely independent, like self-made people. So he, he ran a, a contracting firm, but he was able to retire uh, in the in the 90s and was retired just uh, working on his farm and maintaining his rental properties for many years and uh so granted uh i had seen him run his still uh he liked to make white lightning uh, corn liquor would be unaged whiskey or corn yeah. whiskey um he made some fruit brandies uh, he made a dandelion wine that was uh, only he liked it, but <laughs> there's, uh, there's there's 12 grandchildren. I think every one of us has a story at some point of being on the farm and granddad pulling a clay jug out and, and offering us what he called a nip. It's kind of, here, here, here you go, boy. Take a nip of that. Let's see if you're a man. <laughs> so, but no formal training. So did, did any of you do home brewing or just dive right in and learn how to? Uh, Distill spirits. I love the cook. <laughs> We're also both avid readers, okay. um, so kind of got every book you could, and um, definitely pulled a lot of the different papers that you could read on it to to kind of figure it out. So. And you guys have uh, like a classic pot still, right? Or no, okay. <laughs> it's a, it's so a, I think it was sort of different a, place a I looked at pictures. Franken still, if you will. Well, we, <laughs> We designed and built our own mash tun. We designed or had fabricated. None of us are stainless welders, unfortunately. But um, same with our stills. Um, we run a, a vertical cylinder uh, boiler column. A lot of still pots are more squat and wider. Ours are just like your, imagine a Coke can, but size it up to a 175 gallons with a, a cone top, vertical cylinder boiler. And our fractioning column is a hybrid. It's a part fractioning and part pot still column. We actually set our pot still column on top of our fractioning column, which I've been told by numerous people is upside down. <laughs> and I'm, I'm very happy that they dislike the way that I designed the still because I love it. It runs like a charm. Um, but, it, but it's all our design. Everything that's going on inside the placement of all that copper in our fractioning tower is, is something that we did and then tinkered with over a course of a few months to fine-tune it but I mean it's it you couldn't find our you can't go to any website or company and order our still from one place it doesn't exist it's just made from parts 
So what what um was it from reading and like doing research of different still designs on like that that yep. settled you on that? I read like maybe three or four dozen uh, engineering papers on uh, thermodynamics and spent a couple months teaching myself vapor flow path calculations and distillation science from classic chemistry texts all the way to, uh, there's a lot of information that's available on, on distillation apparatus design for the petroleum industry, believe it or not. And while I was still working at the police department on notebook paper, I mean, like six notebooks, I designed our stills from scratch, the heat, the electric controls, the vessel size, vapor flow, all of it. So you're saying is you're much smarter than I am. <laughs> I'll say this. He's actually much smarter than a lot of people. <laughs> I'm, I'm pretty much on a daily basis impressed with what he's able to teach himself and learn and whatnot. So. I'm, I'm not the smartest man in the world. I love to read, and I retain things. Um, my ability to retain is really good. Like, I mean, I, I went to college. I got a, my bachelor's and I got my master's. And there was people there that were that would pick up concepts much quicker than me. So, like, they're smart because they figured it out the first time. I'm just stubborn and persistent. <laughs> so I'll read something 50 times until I'm like, oh, now I get it. But um, it's, it's one of the hundreds of forks in the road at Blue Dire that left was fail and right was success. But we didn't know that left was fail, right was success. I mean, if we're not supposed to be here doing this, then I don't know what we're supposed to be doing because every time we hit a fork where we could have fallen apart, we seem to have chosen the direction that allowed us to continue um, with building the business. So what what was it about that particular design of the still that attracted you to it? Why did you settle on that? Should we tell the truth? Because <laughs> I'm, I'm cheap. Yeah. And, and, and I guess man, all on the, I'm finding out a lot about myself today. <laughs> I'm not so the, the economics of the design uh, coupled with our tendency to be very independent um, in anything, I mean, in any industry, anywhere you go, I think the worst reason when you ask well why do we do this you know why do we do this here here and somebody says well that's the way we've always done it automatically that's the wrong way usually there's often a more effective way to do things but i mean we looked at what was available and in the industry what's what's unique right now about uh the craft distillery industry is there really isn't the big clearinghouse for equipment i mean in the wine industry there's 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 home batch size stuff there's small, medium producer-sized equipment, and then there's a large-scale industrial production equipment and beers the same way. At every scale, there are a multitude of equipment producers. Uh, the distillery industry, and, the, and if, if you sort of equate it to beer at the micro and nano sizes, which is what most of us are, there is some equipment that is redundant to the wine and beer industry and it's readily available, and other times we're out here looking for something that, that literally doesn't exist. There is no providers. You know, so you can't just call restaurant supply and say, hey, uh, dial me up one of them 350-gallon pot stills. What? But you can get all the 
stoves and ranges and microwaves. Yeah. And so some of some I've seen a lot of um a lot of interesting designs and, and repurposings of equipment uh, in our industry. But it, until the manufacturers catch up with the industry, it's almost at a necessity. And that's the mother of invention. And I'm pretty sure <laughs> I'm pretty sure if necessity is, is the mother of invention, then poverty must be its father. Because <laughs> no, it's just like, and, and here's the thing. Nobody's going to sit back and drink our Well, from whiskey. looking at the pictures, though, there is a ton of copper sitting there. So that still could <laughs> not have been cheap. <laughs> Unless you were out robbing rooftops and stripping uh, right. <laughs> stripping yeah. air compre- the compressors for HVAC. No, it's, well, the vessels were all stainless. Okay, it's they the, look. The hmm. c- copper is uh, all, just the... all inserted inside, so it's, we're, and it's all modular. So we're able okay. to break it apart, clean it, refresh the copper to bright from time to time. If some of the copper media is, is worn down, we can easily replace that versus having a vessel build of copper, and now you're eroding the vessel from the inside out every time you run it. Yeah. So the, the copper in there is, is and th- there is a, well over 100 pounds in each, packed in each one of our columns. And a lot of it's copper mesh too, so probably have a significant amount more surface area than you know, if we made the large parts of the still out of copper itself. So, and that's, that's, that's our big thing is we, we probably opened the entire facility for what some people were spending on their still. Uh, and that's what we wanted to do. But we, our, our philosophy for us opening was we wanted to make sure that our first product was available on the shelf. That's something that somebody that could buy that was, a, you know, a rookie firefighter, a rookie police officer could buy on their rookie salary um, on a regular basis. You know, we saw a lot of bottles um, throughout the country that were being sold for seventy, eighty dollars for seven or fifty. And we wanted to make sure that we could kind of make those micro distilled spirits more accessible to just anybody that needed to buy it. I mean, we're looking at where we came from and you know, we both both have two, three jobs since we were fifteen. Um, trying to make that like available to everybody. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I've literally worked everywhere. <laughs> so just trying to make it available and that's what we were trying to do. So a lot of things we did um, when he when he was talking about modular, we just took a page out of Henry Ford's playbook. Everything's in modular, and we can increase and decrease production based on demand. Um, and anything that's a like for like part can can swap and, and switch. But then you can also replace parts once they get worn down um, a lot cheaper than if they were specific built for you. Plus, so. re- realistically, I mean, we, we all give tours, and the tours are part of our distilleries have become extensions of who we are as as culinary artists, as business people, as personalities yeah my parents used to scold me because they'd buy me something for christmas and and within an hour i was upstairs dismantling it (laughs) i've been at this my whole life um and and not spending a ton of money on the equipment um for for me nobody drinks whiskey and says this tastes really bad but when i went on the tour that pot that they made it in is a work of art. And I'll continue to drink this poor tasting product. Like, yeah, you know, is, is, is your, your, your own design going to be as aesthetically pleasing as something that's 20 times the price? Probably not. But ultimately if. Well, I would assume that I mean, a lot of consumers probably never going to see it. So unless yeah. you look at pictures and 
but right. I, yeah, I, I don't, I, I would care much more what it tastes like than if it's pretty. Right. What and it I'm, comes from is pretty. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm happy with it. We, we designed our stuff. It works the way we want. Don't need an owner's manual. Doesn't exist. Right. <laughs> I'm going to take a quick break to thank Roast House Pub again. Yes, sir. While we're doing that, do you want to um, pour out yes. uh, the first uh, first spirit you brought that you want us to try? So once again, thank you, Roast House Pub, for your support of the Uncapped podcast. Um, coming up, they have the Victory Rarity Night with $5 pours on December 21st. Then on December 28th, our friends from Monument City are back to battle hometown Frederick's own Monocacy Brewing Company with Mom's Spaghetti Dinner. And someday I will find out for sure what exactly the battle entails and explain that. And then on January 4th, Oliver Brewing Company, one of the oldest breweries in Maryland, having their 25th birthday bash. So uh, stop on by on the Roast House Pub and enjoy one of the 25 delicious, or 21, 20 to 21 delicious beers they have on tap and the amazing culinary creations that Chef Nico comes up with. All right, so what do we have here? Uh, this is our rum. Uh, rum is our first product. It's our bestseller. It's our uh, American Distilling Institute silver medal winner. So you want to try some? Love that. It smells good. Um, so we, we do a sulfur-free baker's grade molasses and pure cane sugar base. Uh, we ferment with the champagne yeast. This is a little bit unconventional for rum, um, but it, it results in a very clean, taste profile in the in the beer i was just going to comment on like how smooth just smooth this is yes sir that's nice (laughs) um we distill four times and of course it's you know instills that we designed uh around this first product and we age in a, a high char northern minnesota sourced white oak and we do nothing else so the majority and sort of my critique on Caribbean produced rums in the price range of, of our product is that they tend to rely too much on the addition of sugars, uh, burnt or otherwise. Um, you might call them syrupy. And I knew that you could get a predominantly caramel and vanilla flavor from the right oak. And so we. we brought in barrels from uh, nine different cooperages in the beginning. We made our clear base rum and we put it in the different barrels. And uh, when we, it was, it was like 4.30 in the morning, we pulled the, the um, that was fun. We had to drink it all for science. <laughs> but, um, and the business, the good Wait, of the, I mean, you can't possibly um, not try everything. When we pulled it, when we pulled this particular rum from the Minnesota barrels we were just floored I mean Walker and I literally looked at each other and just said this is it we don't touch it we do nothing else this is it um so it's it's not traditional for there to be no sugar additions in a gold rum yeah this this now it does have sugar because it's caramelized glucose when you char a barrel 
you create carbon and you caramelize the glucose inside the wood pulp and that dissolves into the spirit thus giving it its its color and flavor but it's, it's sort of the most natural most well-preserved sugar possible because when you cut the wood it was trapped inside of the cells so like nature's microscopic tupperware keeping those <laughs> sugars fresh and when you char them up so that's how we do our rum it's it's very simple in all of our spirits if we do flavor i try to obtain the flavors from as natural a source as possible so this this is all wood all wood all wood um and then of course on the gin it's just the two classic gin flavors uh, juniper and citrus nothing else uh, I, I like to i call myself a minimalist uh spirit construction guy i don't want to use artificial or too much outside flavor because i'm i'm very confident that we produce high quality spirit bases and i don't want to overshadow the quality of the spirit because you can dump enough sugar or vanilla in anything yeah and you don't know if it's a quality spirit or not later tomorrow you'll know but i like to let the base spirit shine through enough that you know we're very proud to we serve all of our spirits on our tours uh, neat on the rocks no cocktails no no mixing and we get we get a lot of compliments from people that say you know i'm, I'm a wine drinker or i don't drink spirits by themselves but the whole blue dire line was was approachable for for me to try so that I, that is tremendously smooth and delicious yeah. and it's funny i uh, like people commenting on drinking just on the rocks or uh, just straight i mean i came into this year one like not caring about spirits at all not liking them at all that's the only way i like i drink anything now like and, and i've definitely picked i mean i'm still very much beer centric but um like i I bought big whiskey ball ice makers and that's just what i i drink with and i'd imagine that rum would be absolutely delicious that way well that's one of my favorite things about the craft spirit movement right now is is that you know for 80 years after prohibition big liquor owns liquor they dictate what's good what isn't they dictate that you know, for instance, if we put single barrel on the bottle, that's suddenly better and you pay more for it. Um, and now you have all these craft houses coming along and producing great products. The vast majority of us are producing wonderful products. We're challenging big liquor stranglehold because people are people they come in and try our products and they're amazing. You know, this is smooth. It doesn't, well, it's it doesn't burn the palate. Yeah. There's just a little heat on the way down. They, we see people make the face where they're getting ready for it, like, <laughs> oh, wait, that's really good. How'd you do that? I thought, and and it's a perception that's been ingrained in, into the consumer that liquor's going to burn. And then they try they try craft spirits, and they're amazed. Wait a minute. This is liquor? This is delicious. Yeah, and the the that rum, it was only, like, a little bit on the tongue of burn lit, and maybe a tiny bit, um down the throat but mainly just a little tingle like a little bit of heat on the tongue but so smooth it's i want to try the whiskey <laughs> is it yeah it's funny when we when we go out and do tastings at uh you know liquor stores or or at farmers markets um we, we never mix our stuff in anything when we do it um we always tell people 
we want you to know what the base product is. If you're going to be buying this, we want you to know what you can do with it, what you want to do with it. You know, do you want to drink it neat? Do you want to drink it on the rocks? Mix it with whatever you want to mix it with. And it's funny, you, people think we're crazy um, when they when they see us doing that. They're like, no, 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 no. The, the, these big companies come in, they send people in, they send them in with this big jug of something. I'm like, yeah, well, if I mix it in fruit punch, yeah, it's going to taste good. It's like red sugar and water, right? Like, it's going to taste yeah. like the fruit punch. It's going to be great. So it 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 floors people that we just serve it in like little plastic cups at 10 o'clock in the morning at a farmer's market. And people are like, Oh wow, that's really good. And it's like, yeah, you weren't, you weren't expecting to be drinking at 10 o'clock in the morning trying something. Yeah. But we, we put a ton of work in on our, on our products and we're very proud of what we produce. We don't take, pull that over a little. We don't, we don't there take shortcuts. Go. We strive to source high quality materials. And, and this is redundant. Everybody's in the craft industry is, is essentially doing the, the same. So it's a whiskey distilled from bourbon mash. Does that yes. mean it? That, so it, if you look at the, the TTB, the <laughs> t- t- Alcohol, Tobacco, Tax Bureau under the U.S. Treasury that regulates us, um, they have a document that designates what the legal definition is of every type of spirit. And... Most spirits might have two or three different categories, and whiskey has like 50. Uh, the whiskey is even more smooth than the rum. Thank you. <laughs> so uh, whiskey distilled from a bourbon mash uh, is distilled from a, a mash, a grain bill, that meets the criteria of a bourbon. So it's over 51% corn and other grains. In our case, it's 80% corn, 7% rye, 13% malted barley, and uh, we're very proud. Shout out to uh, Hopkins Farm and Haver to Grace. They, uh, Aaron Hopkins, uh, started one of the state's first malt houses, and I believe we were his very first distillery customer. So we we are using a Maryland grown and malted barley oh, in our whiskey. Nice. But. Uh, Because we don't use a new barrel on our whiskey for every barreling, okay, it cannot be a bourbon. Also, we use a combination of oak casks and locally to Southern Maryland sourced charred cherry wood inserts that we cut dry, manufacture, char all ourselves in-house. That sweet finish that lingers on the palate, which everyone is searching for. What is that? Because that's, that's the unique aspect of this particular whiskey but it comes from the addition of, of cherry to the aging process okay so it's, it's a two wood whiskey in layman's terms and these are popular two wood american whiskeys if you had to classify what we've done here it's labeled as a whiskey distilled from a bourbon mash to make the tax man happy because <laughs> that's according yeah. to them what it fits into but so West to southwestern Virginia, there's a lot of two-wood American whiskeys, uh, Copper Fox, Copper Kettle, Belmont Farms does one. Uh, they like Applewood's popular, and Cherry's not terribly popular. And here's where Walker can chime in. What is the last thing you want to tell me? You can't do that. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> I want to use Cherry. And Walker immediately goes, I don't think it's a good idea, knowing that that's only going to drive me to go out and uh, and try harder. So... But it took us about seven or eight months. My poor father got involved because he's the best woodworker amongst us. And um, 
it turns out that cherry is really tricky to work with. The dark hued cherry is bitter when you char it. The lighter hued cherry tastes sweet, but it has a bad nose. It's like a, got a waxy odor. So nobody wants to drink something that smells yeah. bad, even if it tastes good. So the, it took us months of cutting wood and determining, we think, you know, we had to come up with our own classification system for the color range and testing pH and figuring out which color of cherry, once air dried and charred, would provide the flavor we were looking for. So, so you're dismantling the barrels and replacing? No. Or no, no, oh, you're no. putting? Yeah. Additional, let's say, charred staves, they, they hang oh, okay, into the barrel. Part, okay. So that ch- cherry, I don't believe you can make a traditional barrel from cherry. It's a bitter. So, yeah, it wouldn't it's, exp- a, it's a expand. brittle hardwood, and okay, so it yeah. wouldn't expand the way oak does. So that's, that's the only way we, that we can utilize cherry as a flavoring wood. So what made you want to do that? Just an idea popped in your head, oh, so, or you so thought that? that That's the region where my great-granddad started making his liquor was southwestern Virginia. So it's kind of a nod to where that blue dyer got started. I wanted to do a two-wood whiskey. I, I don't want to do any spirit that, you know, people ask why we don't do a traditional dead traditional bourbon it's like because there's hundreds of places that have been in business for years and years and years that are backed by enormous amounts of money and, and that's what they're doing as a small guy i mean i'm all for the david and goliath but i'm not trying to jump into a market yeah. and i'm a minnow and there's you know 57 hammerhead sharks and i'm like let me jump in that pool so i i, I like to look for products that either we can we can do a different element like to differentiate ourselves, and if you like it, you know, it's it's it, you're I gonna love, come you're gonna come to Blue Dyer because it's like that. I've never had something just like that. I love the lingering aftertaste of that. I'm guessing is that the cherry? The cherry. It's just yeah. this like it's just it's a little a sweet, slight, yep. sweet lingering taste. Yep, that's really good. Yeah, yeah and it's, like, it's actually hard because we get people a lot of times um, at tastings or at when they come to the facility or, or farmers markets they. They always ask, they're like, well, what does this compare to? And I'm like, well, that's kind of our goal is that we're, we're not trying to have <laughs> yeah. our stuff compared. They're like, yeah, I understand <coughs> that. But if you had to compare it to something, I'm like. Just try it. I, yeah. I was like, that's I, my answer. Yeah. Just try it. That's what I usually end up saying. It's, to people it's is, yeah. I guess, I guess that's a thing for people who maybe know just a little bit about something <laughs> but don't want to go too outside their comfort zone. Yeah. Um, but I can't, I hate when – like Graham and I went to a brewery over the summer and – Every, and the beer was just absolutely horrible. But every beer they went down, they were like, said the name. This is our version of another uh, beer. I'm like, well, it's like, why don't you just say what it is instead of this is our version of this, and well, not even like a style. It was this version of this name brand beer. What, what, your opinion right now, craft beer wide on IPAs? What do you feel that? about ipas in general oh i love i'm a hophead i love okay. ipas just just my take i think that a, a lot of the ipas that are coming out because it is the trend are becoming more similar and similar and similar to each other oh they definitely the, are the especially um like new england style ipas i mean it's right. just it it and they taste like fruit juice more or less and but i mean th- i think that's a big part of why they're extremely popular because people who may not necessarily even like beer could end up liking a New England IPA because they're not bitter. They're not. They, they don't taste like beer. They, they, <laughs> Who doesn't like beer? 
There's definitely weirdos out there like that. <laughs> and I don't want to know them, but I've, I've heard about them. I'm scared. <laughs> so now I, I'm look, I really want to try your gin. Yes, I'm, sir. Yes, so we how do, we do uh, we do London Dry uh, gin and we do a, a barrel rested gin. I know you talked to Brent Braden. He explained yeah. that the the Treasury doesn't like us to use the word age next to gin. It's because so weird. There could be a confusion of of, of epic proportions <laughs> could result. So I don't I don't know that I've because I don't think anyone in Frederick makes a London Dry. Well, so I don't think I've I've ever had a London dry gin. The craft trend right now is multiple multiple botanicals. And in my vein to be different, <laughs> I went dead old school classic. Plus I told you I like doing minimalist flavors, let the spirits quality shine through. That's good. So one of the um I, I love licorice, but the anise in, in some gins is one of the parts of a, like a lot of the craft gins that I don't like as much. So I kind of I like that being subtracted from it. Right. On the, like at the very end, there's a ton of citrus. Right. So plus here's the thing. Like a, a good mixologist can take a really high-quality base spirit in, in a lot of different directions with how they craft and build the cocktail. So I, I, I like serving the, the, the pouring industry, the on-premise industry, by just providing really quality base spirits at reasonable price points and let them, you know, if, if they want to add um, different exotic flavors, let it be an addition on the cocktail rather than – because then, then if you go to too many flavors on a spirit, you kind of you you pigeonhole what? yourself. Like it may work in this cocktail but not in that one. Yeah. Like when you – do really really clean classics it can build a lot more cocktails as well so what are what are the botanicals in this juniper and citrus what what's used for the citrus uh, it's actually some food grade uh, citric flavoring and uh, coriander so we actually on that I, I double double down on the citrus and because the our clear gen uh, not touching a barrel gets about 10 times the filtration that any of our barrel-aged uh, spirits get. So the, the barrel lends sugars to the spirit, but it, it also the, changes some of the chemical components within the solution, as well as some negative components in the solution that bond into the carbon, like a crude version of a Brita filter. You've heard like a million explanations of the, how barrel aging works. Well, but not, not on – I don't think – What's really great so far is I feel like every distillery has come on has given different pieces of everything in depth. Right. So I don't know that like that analogy has ever been used before. Right. Like with the well, that's they well I have to I have to I'm not please forgive me I'm trying to I'm trying to reduce things to like a a palatable explanation. Yeah. And it's because they kicked me out of doing tours because people <laughs> used got, too many big words. Well, people well, it also people take five hours. <laughs> folks are like, we're here to have a sample, and we got to make a movie. We've been, in, <laughs> we've been in the still room for thirty nine minutes listening to I'd this. I really guy. like to try some alcohol. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I'm just really passionate about you know I want to want to teach you everything today, so I'm trying to do the cribs notes versions of 
of things these days. But no, the, the, the barrel smooths out the flavor of the spirits. The London Dry doesn't get a barrel. So our mechanical filtration is our only tool for smoothing. Um, so it gets a lot more filtration. And some of the filter pads we use on that are impregnated with carbon to give us that smoothing effect that the barrel would have. Um, That's a pretty big part of our distillery, too. You really can't walk around our distillery without tripping over um, filtration systems. <laughs> uh, I mean, it, it's it, – it, We that's love one, them. Yeah. It's our favorite. It's my favorite machine, all of them, every one of them. So how – I, I, you may have mentioned it, and if you did, I'm really sorry. Um, how long are the rum and whiskey aged slash rested? Currently, um, no. Well, rum and whiskey we can say aged. Just, just okay. not to, it's, I just never, not I can't, gen, I still right? can't keep track of what's allowed to be called mm-hmm. aged and what has to be rested. Well, it's, it's all for great reasons. The uh, currently the rum six months, whiskey's three. Okay, um, we're working on adding more time into our aging before we label with any age declarations. When you get started, I'll sort of tell you my thought on barrel aging is that there's a minimum time um, barrel aging that gives you a minimally acceptable product quality that you're willing to say, this is good enough, I'll put it out. But when we get to leave things in the barrel longer, they only get better, and that's true across the board. I've never run into a spirit that got more time, and I was like, oh, this got worse for having too much time in the barrel. Yeah. So as, as, we've, as we're growing, we've been able to um, build some more time into the spirits. Like, we want a silver for our rum, and it was – I don't think it had two months in the barrel. The stuff on the market today is at six, and by January we'll be releasing our first one-year age rum. Same label, same price point. Once we once we settle into a standard that we're happy with, we may start putting some age statements on the labels. So one of my good friends, uh, Jeff, just sent me a text that he loves you. <laughs> <laughs> Probably not meant to be read, but <laughs> there. Um, the in so the. How long is the gin rested for? A month. Okay. And, and that's going to stay consistent because you just of, don't want to pick up as many as those right, flavors. Exactly. With the, if you look across the line, like the, the barrel gin is intended to be just a little lighter than the rum. The whiskey gets to the barrel plus the additional staves, so it's exposed to more surface area of chard and thus picks up more and gives it a, a darker color. So that that's going to stay consistent and we use it we use a once used uh Kentucky sourced bourbon barrel from a uh, 18 distilling the big brother they've been really nice to us and uh we got into some barrels that we use for the barrel aged gin uh from them rested yes yeah, sir rested <laughs> rest well played it's it's um finished it, it's and i guess in, in the barrel i guess it makes sense because of how much the barrel aging process changes the flavor of the spirits. Right. But it's funny how passionate different distilleries are about the different philosophies with barrel aging. Like they, they it just runs the gamut of what like some distillers consider is gospel truth. It has to be this long. It has to be done this way. And then uh, there's yeah. someone who like talked to some people who, feel completely different or 
a variation. It's so, you, so I guess that's a big part of where the art form of yeah. creating spirits comes from. Every artist likes a different paintbrush best, yeah. right? But I mean, you, you can speed up the extraction of sugar easy. It's, it's some of the other chemical changes that happen only over time. Um, I'm going to reference uh, your previous podcast with a guy who does an excellent job of explaining the science very concisely is, uh, is Ben Lyon, and he's been a big inspiration of ours. So a lot of respect for everything that he does. And he, he talks about the, the breakdown of, of lignin into vanillin and, and how rum barrels are reused. And for instance, our, our, we had a guy call today while we were on the way up here, and he wanted, he was at the distillery, and he wanted to buy some barrels from us. And I said, no, sir, we, uh, we use the rum barrels over and over and over and over again because I know the longer I can keep them, um, they'll start to make some really neat changes on the rum. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's, it's a different strategy for each different spirit. It's all in what you're trying to do. Sometimes you nail it. Sometimes you get pretty close. Usually, if you get pretty close and don't nail it, you just got to wait a little longer. My dad, uh, of course, when we were going to open a distillery and quit your career job, I was, we were the least intelligent people in the world. And <laughs> now that he's seen a, uh, he's but he stood stood by us every step of the way. I mean, the guy will do anything. We call him at midnight. Say, get up here with a pickup truck. We have to climb on the roof. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> fool but i'll be there but um he he's one of our best tour guides hands down right? oh yeah you Mr. can actually if you read our, you read our reviews, reviews mr, <laughs> mr. dan <laughs> people are like you know the, the liquor was delicious but mr dan was a man <laughs> and i show him uh the reviews and but one of the things he says he's, he says the barrel will tell us when the liquor's ready it's not going to be before it's not going to be after the barrel let us know so I mean, we have a target window on time but after that you you got to get in and take some small samples and, and make a determination. Um, and that, man, that's just one of the worst parts of the job, if you ask me, having to go in barrels and taste barrel cast strength spirits and determine if you think they're ready. It's for science. <laughs> we, use, we use that term a lot. Yeah. So I, I, since you brought up um, reviews, I was just thinking ahead to where I always ask why I haven't always, but I started because breweries have some colorful reviews um, asking everyone what the worst slash most ridiculous review you've ever received is. And then once again, I look at your reviews and they're all five star and it's getting really annoying that every, <laughs> every distillery we're, we're, we have we're, on we're, has nothing but five the, star reviews. The, the Maryland craft distilleries are all a bunch of big hairy American winning machines. <laughs> yeah. We wake up in the morning and we distill excellence. <laughs> Apparently because I, no, we, well, the, we, we got a four. I did. did. I was, and if looking, you read the four, it's basically like awesome, amazing four. Yeah, it's it's a so, it's one of those guys. Probably one of those professors out there that will never give an A. You yeah, know? your worst one yeah. was absolutely <laughs> great experience. Torin tasting was amazing. Great people, great story, and great liquor. Can't beat it. I'll definitely be going back frequently for refills, especially the rum. That's the worst review you've received. Yep, well, it's, that's but, annoying. But it's coming. It's coming. We're gonna we're yeah, gonna we are get waiting. we're gonna get that review. Well, when you get the really bad one, I want to you like... to message me with yeah what it is. Yeah, yeah we'll send you. We'll be like, there, it came in. We're yeah. gonna have to put Walker on suicide watch seriously yeah. because <laughs> he tends to be the the keeper of the reviews. Like when we get a good one, he's always telling me, and yeah. I'm like, oh okay, yeah, let me check it out, or you know. 
And yeah, when, when we do get a bad one, Walker's. It's going to be bad. And it's not even like you have hardly any reviews. You have 102, which for positive reviews is a lot because people mainly just go to complain about things. Yeah. That is getting annoying with distilleries and everyone loving them. Yeah. <laughs> There's no comedy in this. No, right? <laughs> yeah. The, the wife told me after two years of production, um, she said, and I'm going to paraphrase, you're going to have to correct me if I'm wrong, dear. Something like, it turns out you're pretty okay at making liquor. <laughs> it's like, that had to be the hardest one compliment of my life. <laughs> As it goes, your product is not awful. Right. <laughs> I don't want anybody listening to take that as a challenge, though, to come down yeah, and try to yeah, find something yeah. wrong and then end up doing the doing the No, but it's, as, a, as a small business, I mean, you, you live and die from your customer service. Yeah. You live and die from your reviews. I mean, we, we have people come in, and we, we start working with Groupon. And distillers uh, have different uh, feelings about Groupon. Uh, you know, Groupon is, is – not trying to work with a small business where the small business even like i think they designed the deals for you to lose money it's a i mean it's tough at least like in the early days of groupons there was just story after story where like a small business wasn't helped with creating their groupon and it almost put them out of business because it was a poorly crafted one Mm -hmm. right we're probably going to get fired from working with Groupon or something. <laughs> I got to read the contract. I don't know if I'm allowed to talk about them. We have a contract with them. But. Uh, I don't know. No, no but they, they, they were great. They they worked with us and and, and it was Well, they it, may have learned from those early years well, cuz there's a lot of bad press about it. Yeah, well, but it, it what you have to go into understanding with them is that they're they're sales reps um, yeah. when you're talking to them. So, it took it took about 8-9 months of us going back and forth finally going, "No, we're not doing that. No, we're not doing that. This is what we can do. These are our margins." Right. Um you know, and this is what we're looking for from this. You know, like with, um, with our Groupons, we, we break dead even on the Groupon. And people ask, like, oh, you know, it's, it's really inexpensive. I'm like, it's pretty much in line with most other people's Groupons. But the point I'm leading into is I do a little happy dance inside of my heart every time the door opens and the little alarm thing goes, deep, deep, front door. <laughs> I'm just like, oh, thank you for coming. Well, because, I mean, you got to come all the you got to pack luggage. It's Waldorf. you got to travel. <laughs> You know, across you have to really across want to be Mordor there. <laughs> and there, there's not a ton down there. Our, our industry, our craft, alcohol production industries is a little behind. There, there's four vineyards now that are close by. We don't have a brewery in Charles County yet, but the county is working. Economic development. Kevin Addicts has been down. We we hosted a startup uh, seminar last last Monday. Mm-hmm. Um, we're looking at rolling a class out at uh, College of Southern Maryland. Um, to, to help try to grow the craft industry in the Southern Maryland Peninsula. But, uh, yeah, unfortunately, we're like a singular destination. And what you see in Frederick, like Frederick County has nailed it. I mean, they're, they're, yeah. and they, they, made it, they made it inviting for people to come in and, and st- just little stuff like the county fair, like where we are, no alcohol at the county fair. You know, so the county, but the county doesn't control the, the fairgrounds. It's, there's yeah. politics behind everything. But it's like, if you want these industries, you have to work with the industries to help make it attractive. Um, we're, we're happy with being where we are because we're also is a, a big radius before you have a direct competitor. But the downside is, when we open the doors, you know, we're watching on social media and everybody's tasting rooms just packed. 
was like, oh, wow, man, they're probably paying the rent with the tasting room. Just snap of the fingers, boom, I'm open, money coming in. And we opened our doors. And, we, and there was a, a initial bump because we were brand new. We had yeah. a lot of people associated with the project that wanted to come try. But after about six months, our tasting room had the the, the, the uh, tumbleweed rolling through. And and um, so we, we came up with some what we thought would be solutions to grow that. But we, we hit the ground running, pushing hard with trying to distribute our product because – you know, we're in an area with not as much population, and we're further away from areas well, with, and with as higher the, populations. And as the laws are, the, it, it's less of uh, going to distilleries, less attractive, uh, or it's kind of less of a destination because you can only go and try right. straight. Yep. But two, two, two ounces, no cocktails. And people have asked, they said, you know, well, why don't you show the football game on Sunday? I said, dude, I, I can only pour you uh, two ounces, and I have – bound by law to give you a guided tour um me personally two ounces probably not getting me through a quarter (laughs) so but but people have asked about about you know our ability under the two ounce rule and where we can't sell a cocktail and we're we're limited on the amount that we can serve uh, quite limited it does inhibit our ability to do as many things on premise uh events it limits our retail. Luckily, I would, I would think then definitely for you guys that if there's success in getting the ability to sell cocktails at a distillery, that would be a huge difference for traffic into your yeah, yeah. your distillery. Yeah, we could do more. Like we we we've brought in some food food vendors, uh, food trucks. We got a we got amazing mobile culinary folks down in Southern Maryland. We got a barbecue guy. Uh, Give a shout out to Brian from uh, Smokers Delight. <laughs> that this guy can do no wrong when he puts meat on the grill. <laughs> it's and, amazing uh, that, that I only I joke with Ryan. I only go to the farmers markets and set up the table because Brian's there, and I can go over. <laughs> and, I can go over and get his ribs. You can take his rib and flick it, and all the meat just falls off. It's yeah, pretty incredible. We we got a, a great food truck does uh, Southern Maryland sandwiches like rockfish sandwiches called uh, County Manners that comes. Just you know so. They're great events, but people still they don't stay too long, you know, because that we're just we're just limited to basically the equivalent of a single drink. Yeah. Now farmers markets that seems to be a place where awesome. distilleries are yep. doing great at. Great. Love it. Love it. Absolutely love it. Thank you to the the folks at the comptroller for opening that up yeah. uh, to us. Um, it's it's been a great tool in growing our, our retail presence. Um, but what can I sit down? What do we figure? We were over 8,000 business cards? Yeah. Wow. This year. The two of us and, and anybody from the family who helped uh, came out. But we have, you know, we have our own business cards. But we, we have one for the business that sort of has the pertinent details or whatever. We handed out 8,000 of those. You know, and, and in our tasting room this month, we're up thousands of percent from last december so that's great then so it definitely is and it's hard to when you sit down you look at the numbers it's hard to figure out exactly what it is because we've you know we've grown to four products yeah um you know we've got groupon going facebook social media activities gone up um but you can definitely tell there's a direct correlation between because you do ask a lot of people and they a lot of them did see us at the farmer's market and they're like yeah we were there at the farmer's market and i tried your stuff at you know 9 30 in the morning it was amazing i figured i'd come back at five o'clock at night and actually get the tour (laughs) see where it's made 
in and go forward with that. So it's it's definitely good for us to get out there and, and have people exposed to the product and be able to try it because usually if we can get somebody to try it, um, then they're good to go. It's, it's the same thing with the – we always joke about the gin. Um, there, there are gin people and then not gin people, right? But I, I don't necessarily totally believe that because I think a lot of people that don't like gin, it's not that you don't like gin. It's just you don't like bad gin. Right, so it's like a lot. I didn't of, like gin until this year. Exactly, and it's there, like all the gin I've tried so far this year from craft distillers blows away the horrible stuff I've had in the past. Exactly, and that's why that's why when I when I talk to people about it, they're they're either like oh I've got a bad experience or like the one guy that came through and he was like yeah, I've had a bad experience with it I actually lost a finger uh, to gin <laughs> and we're like no that's, oh. a, that's a true story <laughs> yeah like, <laughs> like half the pinky was going on oh, and we're like do you geez. want some gin and he goes gin's how I lost my pinky I was just like Never mind. I'm sorry. We'll take I it off the bar. Like, turned, you know, I turned redder than a lobster. I was like I'm I'm sorry that I <laughs> we're throwing all the gin out right now. You want to, like some more rum, sir. Yeah. No, they. Uh, but it, 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 it's it's interesting to get. You know, if we can just get people to try the gin, we're like, listen, it's it's probably that you just don't like bad gin, um, and and then the barrel gin, um, kind of jokingly call that one a gateway gin. That if we can, you know, if you like dark liquors, and if we can try get you to try the barrel rested gin, then going forward from there, then they'll actually try to clear gin. And you know, we did very middle of the row. Um, you know, not too citrusy. It doesn't make you feel like you got hit in the face by a pine tree. But that's where we were going for with that. And that's where the farmer's markets are great, is getting people to try it, exposed to it, and then hopefully coming in and then seeing where we make it that, hey, actually, we, I, we, I saw you at the – far like, you're yeah, the dude at the we, farmer's market, and now a, you're sitting here. We so. get a ton of tours on Saturday and Sunday where people literally like, so I saw you this morning at the farmer's market. Yeah. And you told me there's a distillery in Charles County. And I, <laughs> I had to come see it. So I rounded up some of the, you know, friends, family, whatever the case is. So it's, it's, it's been a great tool. But, but – we're more tied to uh, agricultural producers. I mean, my my Rolodex, if you will, at the distillery has more farmers and politicians <laughs> in it than I ever thought it would uh, d- doing this business. So the, the farmer's market, I mean, you're, it, it's a great match for what we do. We're, we're a first-tier agricultural product producer. Yeah. As we, as we grow and as, as breweries grow, as wineries grow in the state, we will – and already are, like I said, with the Hopkins Farm Malt, consume more locally grown products and support, directly support agriculture. So then the farmer's market is a, is a great logical extension because people have come there with the intention of spending yeah, they're, they're on a premium for a locally fresh produced. and local. Yeah. And we're just another extension of that. And so it's, it's been a great reception really happy that we were allowed to, to get in on that and I, I think everybody's taking advantage of it and everybody seems all across the industry they all seem to be doing quite well with with the farmers markets so do you have plans to expand your product line yes. further or, yep. so what do you, are you ready to talk about what you have coming up yeah. or is it yeah what do you what do you have in the works um next month dark rum and about a month after that, uh, port barrel finish whiskey. Oh wow! We imported six. They're, they're not even barrels; they're casks. Yeah, they're, they're, they're fifty-nine gallon behemoths. <laughs> um, but we we brought those in from a Portuguese port operation, and we're 
going to do a port finished whiskey. And the dark rum is it's actually kind of funny. We made the rum, <laughs> loved it. And I started immediately working on my recipe for dark rum. And I made like six different things. And it's not that any of them were bad. They're, they're great. But they just weren't it. And I got frustrated. Like, man, maybe I'm a, I'm a one-hit wonder here. <laughs> like, I can't seem to get the next thing that I really enjoy. And, and like, I got really depressed about it. And the wife had to talk me off the ledge a little bit. Like, honey, listen, you used to do some home brewing. Put the rum aside. Once you work on your whiskey prototype, you know you guys want to get into the whiskey. Like, let's go ahead and get that pinned down. And the first thing I made, I was just like, in love with it. And it involved the addition of the cherry. So I was just, I was just dragged in a different direction. I said, okay, now I have to scale this from, you know, a four quart batch to a twenty one hundred gallon commercial batch. And and that's tricky. You, I've made some things that, that knocked my socks off in four quart jars, and then it's like, how do you scale this into uh, industrial production size, but keep what you have here? Yeah. Um, and so the each spirit, I, I'd say, the first releases probably had some rougher edges, and then, and it's like anything. Your first podcast was not not. It was horrible. <laughs> you don't have to pull punches. It was awful. <laughs> well, I listened. I didn't listen it. to it, but I'm, I just uh, know, I listened like... to it before I had old mother back on, <laughs> and it was it was absolutely horrendous. Right. <laughs> and then somebody comes along at some point and probably told you you're getting really good, and then asked you like, "What are you doing different?" You go, "I don't know. It just yeah, more I'm just sitting there and talking. It was good just, from the beginning. Just more. <laughs> no, just just just." <laughs> More reps. But so, yeah, the dark rum's funny that it was the second thing I worked on. It's just finally coming out. But we, we did we did some small mock-ups and uh, tasted it out to people. We can make anything we want. We just can't uh, sell or bottle something until we have approved uh, labels. So, you know, we, we've had some folks try the, the dark rum, and everybody's awesome. Very, very much happy. And, oh, my God, when can I get this? Like, can I try? Can I please? I'll give you 100 bucks for that bottle. I'm like, nah, no. <laughs> no, it'll cost a no. lot more than that because yeah, I'll be exactly. out of business. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but no, I mean, so people were really excited about that one. The port whiskey. How do we get into that? I wanted to do a port whiskey. So Jazz and I got married at uh, Running Hair, um, Calvert Brewing Running Hair's same owner. Um, loved the venue. So when you do the wedding, you buy wine a certain amount from the from the venue. And the wine I love there, and I'm not a wine guy at all. She's the queen of wines, uh, loves wine, knows her wines. But they make a the, – the grape that they do grow there, the Chamberson, and I always butcher that. Chamberson? Chamberson? Okay. The Chamberson Port. I, I was floored. It's amazing. It's got chocolate and cherry notes in it. And I was like, it's one of those, it's like when people try Blue Dollar, it's like, this can't be from Waldorf. This is, <laughs> I'm sitting here going, this, 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 this wine doesn't come from Calvert County. Like, this is world class. This is delicious wine. And I wanted to get into a port finished whiskey from there when I tried that. And it, it just took us a while to, uh, it was it was always something that I had on the, the back of my mind as something I'd like to do. And then, we came across the opportunity to get these casks for a reasonable cost point, and so we just we just pulled the trigger and 
So that's plus it's it's another one. There aren't maybe there's a dozen scotches that are port barrel finish. I don't know that there's a ton of American whiskeys or bourbons that are port port cast finished or port barrel finished. So it's another one that's it's a niche. And if done well, those are, those are good products for the, the small producer. Um, Baltimore Whiskey Company did Amaro, and everybody I think is really happy with what they've done. I don't think there needs to be two or even five <laughs> Amaros, but you know, I mean, if somebody wants to go in that that direction, but that that's a niche. It's local. It's good. You know, that'll that'll probably sell well for them. Yeah, um, it was good. I wanted to try to. Szechuan uh, peppercorn one because I like Szechuan peppercorn. My I like the coffee one the best just because mm-hmm. I was, I love coffee. But the um, well, I got I, we got something coming for you. Do you have Is a coffee it? rum? No. Uh, no. Coffee whiskey. Coffee no. gin. No. no. Coffee. It's a beer <laughs> thing. Oh. It's a beer thing. I, I think we can we can announce it because Mully's already yeah they already announced put it. out a teaser announcement. But we're doing a collab with Mully's Brewery. They're doing the stout. Using coffee, from I just had their hazy, not lazy. Everybody's that was loving delicious. that. Yeah, that is getting great reviews. Um, Cindy and and the Mully's crew over there have been good uh, stewards of, of us at coming up because they've they've been around you know, a few, few years longer. And when we had you know where do we source grain, or when I had different questions, I mean they've always been great to try to help me out, point me in the right direction um, where they could. But uh, so they're going to use coffee from the only independent, fair trade, organic coffee roaster in Charles County. It was called Wee Bean Coffee out of La Plata. Our buddy Eric Herman, and he's done a bunch of cold brew coffees with our barrels. Oh, cool. Sold them at the farmers market because the La Plata farmers market is literally like Eric's coffee shop with a few people selling vegetables and us. <laughs> like nine out of. 10 out of 10 people are getting a coffee, and then a few filter over to the market. But he's, he's the busiest straw there. Does, does a great job. So he, he's providing the coffee. Mully's is making a stout with the coffee. We're aging in Blue Dyer's Rum Barrels. Nice. Boom. We just need That's a name for this. flavor for days. Right? Yeah, right. There's your name. That's what you should call it. <laughs> flavor for days. Better than the name that I won't say <laughs> no. that loosely referenced the fact three entities mm. were involved, and then you can run through imagination <laughs> there. And, mm. Everyone shot me down. And, but beer labels are supposed to be outrageous. Hey, a flavor for days. I won't even require royalty. Okay. You just use it. <laughs> we'll just. But, but we're, we're super excited because, um, you know, we believe wholeheartedly in, in co-marketing, co-branding, and, and collaborative activities. We found working with the food vendors, working with our coffee vendor, and now we're finally starting to be able to work with some other – craft alcohol producers on products i mean it's, it's it's all just you don't you don't know who from molly's is going to find out about blue dyer and who from blue dyer's fan base customer base social media uh connections will find out about molly's as a result of collaborating and then of course eric has a big draw they already all know eric yeah <laughs> <laughs> but i mean so these things are some of the most so really, you guys just want to mooch off of his yeah, celebrity. <laughs> That's actually funny. So Eric, Eric's a, a bearded guy, and I grew this 
uh, after I retired because for 15 years I'd shave every day, so I didn't even know my face could grow a beard. <laughs> this is my retirement celebration beard. But uh, one lady said when she found out Eric and I were doing a collaboration, she goes, so Eric's like the Ryan of coffee and Ryan's like the Eric of liquor. <laughs> <laughs> right? It's, it's, yeah, I get it, yeah. So where should people go to keep track of you guys and exactly where can people find you? Yeah, uh, Facebook's, Facebook and Instagram, um, the best ones to keep track of the different events and different um, products that we're going to be releasing. Uh, where to find us, our, our best, um, best place is the website. Um, get the interactive map. I mean, we're, we're in close to 200 places in Maryland. We're in D.C., we're in Delaware. What's the URL? www.bluediredistilling. Uh, uh, I thought you were just going to say google.com. Yeah, right. that's <laughs> what. Blue Distilling yeah. Company. That's what everyone will do anyway, right. so I don't that's, even know why I ask you what the Yeah, it is. If you just type in, <laughs> actually, if you just type in Blue Dyer, we're the first thing that pops up <laughs> now. So, um, yeah, you can check us out. There's a There's a where to buy. Um, section on there and you just click in, in your area and I, I try to keep it up to date as possible a little spreadsheet that uh, that will update it on there when I do it so. and I, I I'm gonna guess that you guys are craft beer fans a little bit yes, sir. You, so what's your favorite Maryland beer honey <laughs> what's the one you call me independent out of Bel Air I absolutely love them <laughs> uh, I'm going with jailbreak infinite amber I stole yours. <laughs> I can come up with another one. Uh, I like to drink everything. It's I got just, alcohol in it. <laughs> most most of my stuff's jailbreak. I really like uh, I really like uh, what those guys are doing. Um, it helps it. You know they're. Wait, you know, I, I rescind my answer. It's it's Mullies because they're they're buddies <laughs> and they're close. No, but they're uh, the blonde. The, well, the the, also the new the, blonde the, they did. The blood orange. Um, yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah, the blood orange is absolutely. We had so many people coming over to our tent that were raving about this blood orange, and we had people coming to the distillery and we were talking about Molly's, and uh, they'd be like, "Oh, we just got, um, you know, the blood orange." However, many we just bought out the stock that this store had because you can't <laughs> find it. So finally, I had to go have it, and it's absolutely delicious. Um, so I. I like Jailbreak. Uh, I, I recently bought a house up in Laurel, and that's where I live now. Okay. So I, I feel a little connection to them. Yeah. Plus, plus I, I happen to like the fact that it was, you know, the name coming from, we didn't like our current profession, yeah. so you know what we're going to do? exactly you guys. Exactly. You so like, I, we, I, I feel a connection there. I like Oliver's IPAs as well. Union. Brewer's Art, pretty amazing, too. Um, I lived in Baltimore for a while. So and Beer. Essentially, <laughs> actually, yeah. Um, really, anything that's really well made, uh, that you can tell that there's there's a passion for a quality product, and you know that definitely comes through. I yeah, mean, as you can tell, absolutely. like as you said from the tour, this is our version of this. Like you can tell when it's not, yeah. it's their version of something, or if it's something that they were passionate about. It's like Baltimore Whiskey Company coming up with their different products. Like you can tell that they're passionate about the certain products that they're, they're making. He is definitely passionate. Yeah. So you, you but you can tell because <laughs> in a you know, great way. Yeah. And trying trying some of their stuff, I'm like, man, I don't even know what this is. And then you try it, and you're like, I still don't know what it is. But it's good. But it's amazing, <laughs> and clearly yeah. you're incredibly passionate about it. So that's that's kind of one thing that I lament about is, you know, I'm I'm, I'm the chief sandwich artist at Blue Dyer. <laughs> no, they're just writing the recipes. Um, and so, like, on this hand, there's the, the artistry. And if, if I could just go to work and just be an artist with, like, no limitations or restrictions and not worrying about paying this bill, it would be glorious. But 
There's Fortunately, always... people want money from you. Yeah. Apparently, everybody. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's what we're finding out. Yeah, unfortunately, there's there's all these other elements that get in the way of the art. So, but, but why I say that is it's it's super refreshing that there is so much great artistry coming through in, in this whole growing industry. And it's neat to see Maryland, Maryland Micros won a pile of medals. Um, we're yeah, it's like every everyone that comes in here has a, a <laughs> right? has won medals for someone. It's like, is anyone making anything good in the rest of the country? Right. <laughs> well, there's there's great, and here's the thing: I, I, there are great distilleries all over the country right now. But when you talk about hubs, like concentrations of really good distilleries, just my personal opinion, I think upstate New York has sort of separated itself for having a lot of good producers in one particular area, mm-hmm. and I think. Maryland, which is coming up, Warner maybe has broken twenty micros. And for a small state, we are. We're being in a sh- very short amount of time. Yeah. Yes, sir. For it being legal. Yep. Right. Uh, we're starting to sort of become this this hub where it's you know it's not just one, it's not two. It's almost every distillery's got some really good products. So that that's neat too. It's a, it's a little badge of honor, feather yeah. in the cap. The Maryland guys. Yeah, doing a good job. Turns out you guys know what you're doing. Yeah. Turns out we kind of make a kind of okay. (laughs) We're pretty okay at the spirit thing. Yep. All right, well, I think um, everyone is probably sick of hearing Jasmine talk at this point. (laughs) You have to ask her questions. Just going on and on. Um, (laughs) I I don't know. I don't think I have anything left. Right. Yeah, what's your favorite spirit that's okay that... I guess the most okay one will have to be the rum. I feel like that's the baby. That's what this. I think you should add that tagline to the bottle. The, the most, most okay rum that we make. Yeah. <laughs> most okayest product that we make. Yeah. I mean, I love them all, but the rum is my favorite child, I must admit. She's probably so. saying that because for a while, none of us we're allowed to drink the whiskey because we didn't it's have enough. I'm not sure. <laughs> so, yeah, we, yeah. We, we, we don't have enough to, to – we have to sell every bottle of whiskey <laughs> yeah. we have, so we actually can't drink the whiskey ourselves. So um, so you're yeah. forced to like the we, rum. Yeah. But we, 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 we still do it at the distillery. Like, that's what we, that's what Sneak we drink. Sneak it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. Sneak, yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's it's quality control. Things you learn on Uncapped. Oh, no. Quality control. Family, uh, family meeting when we get home. <laughs> I'm laying on the law. Yeah, right. No, the, the whiskey, every time we bottle a batch, like zombies show up to the door, tear the door open, and buy it all. And then we had a bunch of times where we're like, we launch a, a 50K, 60, 70K uh, bottling, and it sells out quickly, and then we're out for short periods sometimes, you know, two weeks. I mean, as much as that sucks to not have product they can't fill, I mean, that's got to be a good feeling, though. That, and because that's not in. Yeah. inconsequential amount of it's, uh, it's hard to it's hard to look on the bright side of that one yeah when you, when when you, you got think people about want, how much money you could be making and how many yeah. people you could be got to keep the making happy on. and well and, and you get it's like like dad's anecdote like you can't rush it so you're just sitting there and don't have something that people want like nobody wishes i had whiskey more than than me sir yeah but um surprisingly nobody 
ripped us up in the reviews for running out of whiskey. No, that's where we thought the first bad one was like, yeah, we really liked the whiskey. Cause that we, still wouldn't count. Yeah, because I was literally, we were going out to stores and having to buy a bottle of the whiskey to sample. That's to, insane. To make sure. So we'd go up to, to, I'd go to one of the local stores, and they're like, hey, what, what's going on? And I was like, hey, I just need to buy this bottle of whiskey. They're like, what do you mean? I don't, <laughs> I don't, I don't really understand. Most expensive what's tasting happening. ever. Yeah, like what's happening right now. And I was like, well, I need to buy a couple bottles of whiskey because we're actually out at the distillery, and I need to. I need to pour out samples because I don't want people coming down and not being able to yeah. try it. Um, you know, we can just tell them we can't you can't buy it from us, but you can still buy it from them. some of the stores that still had it. Um, we, we we rock a, an occasional piece of accidental genius. Maybe we that actually helped drive <laughs> yeah, right. further yeah. demand for it, like something yeah. that scarcity. It's the cookie jar theory. You want what you can't have. Right? Yeah. So, but it really just boiled down to. This is it. Maybe my my son is nineteen. He he helps out in the production space sometimes. My my dad comes down, um, and that's pretty much the crew. We haven't I haven't mentioned yet. I love your labels. I love the it's just the classy, simplistic. Not all the words that you wanted to put on it. So <laughs> that's what I have these folks for. Because <laughs> me personally, I try to uh, put on about eleven sh- different patterns of camo in the same outfit <laughs> and i get vetoed like no you, you can't go to why well, i'm glad you didn't use camo that right. may have not sold as many bottles they they worked with a, um, a graph designer and, and came up with the, the logo and designed the labels but it, it goes back to know what you're good at like i, I know that design and, and arranging things is spatial <laughs> my my art is not visual. <laughs> Everyone is an artist in their own respect. We'll we'll just keep your your art inside the bottle. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Walker and, and Jasmine's can be outside, well, right. and inside for you too. Yeah. <laughs> I want to thank you all so much for making the trek all the way to Frederick. Yes, Do you have anything else you want to plug or mention real quick? Or are we you good? No, we have sweatshirts back in stock. If anybody's listening, <laughs> and whiskey. Yeah, we were we were out of sweatshirts for a while, and All people right. were upset about that. So. That's a, a, there are two one star reviews. I'm leaving. Yeah, right. <laughs> no whiskey, no, no whiskey, sweatshirts. Yes. Awful. Plenty uh, of whiskey, and, and uh, we appreciate you having us up. Yeah, we're we're always happy to come up to Frederick, which is a, a mecca within a mecca. It is, it is the craft beer and spirits capital of the East Coast. Yeah, right. I'm gonna add spirits into there also now. So we're uh, we're, <laughs> we're we're always happy to come up. Um, when we first came up to Frederick to sell. Honestly, I was intimidated because I'm like, you know, we're so far from Kansas, Toto. Like, what are people <laughs> gonna think about Southern Maryland? And and honestly, the package stores and on premise and stuff. Literally, I was scared. Like, ooh, Southern Maryland. This is Northern Maryland. They're gonna say we've already got a bunch of our own stuff. And it literally wasn't like that at all. It was just tremendous reception, like, made in Maryland? Let's well, try it. That's one good. Welcome on up. That's definitely one thing that everyone that produces something in Maryland has to their favor is that Maryland, Marylanders love Maryland and anything that has to do with Maryland. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I could figure out some way when you unscrew the top if it just drops some, some old bay rig right into it. <laughs> Shot a flag it, out it, of right? the top it would of it. Be, yeah. It would be, it'd be pretty great, but. Thank you so much for making the trek up here. Thank you, everyone, for watching and listening. Cheers. Yes, cheers.
The Uncapped Podcast is produced by Graham Cullen and me, Chris Sands. Be sure to like us on Facebook, and if you've enjoyed these podcasts, please leave us a review on Google Play or the iTunes Store. A special thanks to Double Motorcycle for providing our theme music. Thanks for listening.